Ladies and gentlemen, let the soaring Welsh sounds of Tom Jones welcome you into this week's episode of Raven Bond, where he strikes like Thunderball. <laughs> and someone who strikes like Thunderball every day of the week is my dear friend and fellow Bond rewatch enthusiast, Stuart Late. Hello, Natalie. Hello, everyone. How do you strike like Thunderball? I, Stu, this is going to be a long podcast if you're going to get nitpicky <laughs> over everything. Well, as it happens, I can explain. Sure, um, okay. I mean, not the actual detail, but that wasn't supposed to be the theme song originally. Right. The original theme song was supposed to be Mr. Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang, which had been written, I think, well, Shirley Bassey sang it first, and then they brought in Dionne Warwick, so she recorded it. But then everyone was too nervous about having a Bond theme song that didn't have the (laughs) name. Didn't have the title of the name, yeah. So what they were going to do was have the title of the movie show up and then start the lyrics, Mr. Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang. It's a fun song, but I can see why they weeks out from the film being ready they went you know what we just we need a thunderball song so one of the guys associated with the music production you know pumped out thunderball and they got tom jones in to sing it so i wasn't aware of that context knowing that it's not bad it's not bad as a theme song and and it's a great theme song and it really incorporates the actual james bond theme really well that and he strikes i think they just needed, you know, a good staccato word. Like he strikes like thunderball, you know. He's yeah. Like, uh, particularly given all the watery aquatic nature of this film, you know, they're like he say waits and he's he's always whatever the lyrics are, and then he strikes. So you need a good, you know. <laughs> and then he looks like a thunderball. I mean, that's just insulting. <laughs> It's like, what are you saying? Yeah. I mean, there's not a lot of water imagery in the song. So I guess, you know, no, as, as you say, if we're getting caught up on the song, this is a very long movie. So yeah. if we're getting caught up in the song, we're going to be here for a while. It is a long movie, isn't it? It is over two hours and it felt <laughs> like four. <laughs> Look, we had a very brief Facebook chat a few days ago where you were you know, <laughs> catching up to see when we do the podcast. And you were like, I've had to watch this over two nights. This is just... Yeah. And I was like, you can't disparage Thunderball. How dare you? And I can kind of see the length argument. Having oh, gone- you've come around. This is this is well, hilarious. I look, thought we were going to have our first Bond disagreement. I think we will. Don't worry, Stu. Oh, okay. sure we still will. Because there's enough. genius parts of this film. But I did forget the length of it. And it's the first Bond film to go over two hours. It's two hours ten. Goldfinger was not the last. 20 minutes shorter. And there's a lot of... I think the reason why it feels longer is that there is a lot of repetitive water stuff. There is so much underwater stuff. And I was looking this up, and actually one quarter of the film is underwater footage. Yes, I would believe that. I, I would I would hazard that almost half the film is underwater. It is interminably <laughs> long. Uh, and not, not even the underwater bits. I mean, you could you could lose a lot of fat from the underwater sequences. Yeah. But there are big chunks of this movie that do not need to be there. Yeah, it definitely could have done with an edit. And Holy it's hell. strange. It's really strange because I happen to – I'm watching these early ones on DVD, Stu, because I have them. And I got these <laughs> DVDs in the early 2000s. I've had these DVDs for almost 20 years. And that made right, me okay. cry, cry because <laughs> I'm very old. But they have these great 90s-era little documentaries and features on them. And I, oh, right, yeah. I clicked onto a couple of them, little short ones. You had time to watch a documentary after you watched 
this five-hour-long movie? Well, Stu, I've been... <laughs> I want to be professional in the podcast, Stu, and I want to have more research and I want people to really think that I'm well-informed, even if I'm not. So it's a part of the charade, (laughs) you have to understand. And also these docos seem to be narrated by Patrick McNee, who I think he's the the Avenger, isn't he, Patrick McNee? Yes, I think so. Yeah, I think he's dead now. But, you know, back in the 90s, he obviously had a secondary career as a voiceover artist. (laughs) And one of them was just going through some of the changes from different Bond prints. And I forgot this, but the Bond prints would be edited differently for different markets, sometimes on purpose, sometimes it was a censorship thing. So there are all these bits and pieces that are different depending on the version you watch. Now, I don't know if you'll be able to remember, but I watched (laughs) a version where when Bond escapes from the sharks in the pool, Lago's sharks in the pool, and he says in the one that I was watching, sorry, old boy, better luck next time. Is that what you recall him saying? Oh, because in maybe. other prints he says, "Talk about the one that got away" or something like that. So there's two different quippy oh, lines, okay. and both well, so they had alternates, prints. like like they had. They had like, alternates. Give me another one. Yeah, and some lines that are in which which happens a bit, I guess. But there, there's one line that isn't in the film that I was seeing, but it was when he's in the bathroom with um, what's her name, Fiona Volpe? Uh, Volpe, yes. Guy, yeah. The very beautiful redhead. And she's starting to, like, lift up his shirt and he goes, the things I do for England. And that's in a few promos and things, but it's not actually in the film. But it is in You Only Live Twice, the next film. They, like, recycled that line. <laughs> they, 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 they reused it. Fantastic. Yeah. So there's all these little interesting <laughs> tidbits and then the – other thing was oh yeah thunderball was the biggest bond film and by some i think it might still be the biggest in terms of inflation of ticket prices or something like that it was the height of bond on the highest grossing yeah it went nuts well yes i mean you're coming off the back of goldfinger so i mean bond mania must have been at its height yeah and i think particularly it picked up in the united states because it actually premiered there first before the uk oh wow it came out in December 21 in the United States, and then it was December 29 in the UK, so before Christmas, after Christmas, although I think it actually premiered in Japan a few days before the US, but that's by the by. It was nuts, and they cinemas, some cinemas ran 24 hours, just showing the film over and over. Oh, jeez. And then it continued to be programmed in re-releases and in a lot of Bond double features, because we forget, Stu, from the what would you say, from the 20 years between 65 when it came out and 85 maybe, you know, most people didn't have VHS. So people would just go back to see this at the cinema. So it just had this enormous life and is still highly, highly regarded. It was also the first Bond film shot in Panavision, which is the big widescreen. So it's, yeah, so they went big, 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 and that's why on a lot of the advertising posters you'll see Bond's biggest adventure yet, because and and one of the reasons why I think they went with the underwater stuff is because it would look so good, and it does look good. You've got to admit, Stu, this film looks. Oh, fantastic. it looks incredible. I mean, the thing is, like, you know, I I can really appreciate the fact that like this must have been relatively cutting edge technology, like all these underwater uh, cameras, because I assume. I mean, were they filming in tanks? Do you know? I, I haven't looked this up at all. I I, I, I bout your expert uh, knowledge. Look, well, I'm, I'd have to double check that, but there are some shots that are very definitely tanks. Oh yes, yeah. There's a couple that are very clearly just like. 
pure white sand on the bottom of clear water. Yes. And you're like, okay, I'm pretty sure that's a tank. But At then the there's other ones end. where I'm like, I think this is in the ocean. Like they've yeah. they've gone. I think they cut them together. So there's one at the very end where Bond and Domino are rescued and the, a plane yes. drops off a life raft and you see them climbing into it in this clear blue, very, very blue tank with it. They, all you can see is the water and the life raft. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And then they cut to the ocean scene of them kind of sitting yeah. in it. Where, where a stuntman and woman uh, yes. get into in a, white a life raft. <laughs> so, so I think they definitely would have recorded stuff in tanks and probably the fights as well. Because one imagines that you probably would want to set up a tank, you know, with clear, maybe clear glass or something. And so you can have... Well, I did, I did wonder about that because that's the thing. Like, like how much of this, like that, I mean, it would have been enormous tanks that they were filming in if that was the case because they've got like half a plane in there at one stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff like that. So, I mean, it would have been it would have been a massive undertaking. Unless it was um, perspective and it was like a very small plane up close to the camera <laughs> and Bond just way back. It's all cinema magic. Yeah. So here we go. I'm just looking at Wikipedia now. Thank you, Wikipedia, for uh, having... So um, everything's true on Wikipedia. Yep. The most difficult sequences to film with the underwater action scenes. The first to be shot underwater at a depth of 50 feet. So what's that like? Oh, that's actually, yeah, that's 20 20 meters just under. To shoot the scene where Spectre divers remove the atom bombs from the sunken Vulcan bomber. Most of these underwater scenes had to be done at lower tides due to the sharks on the Bahama coast, Bahamian coast. They had, oh, for the shark attack. Oh yes, I'd, I'd heard of, I'd heard this anecdote before, but yeah, yeah it's pretty pretty they, cool. They built a plexiglass partition in the pool, uh, so you can actually see through. it in one shot. Like there's one shot where it's very clearly Bond is like behind what is very clearly as a clear screen <laughs> as the but shark what, swims past. Well, what happened was it wasn't a fixed bit of partition. And one of the sharks managed to get past it, and Connery had to <laughs> bolt out of the pool, yeah. <laughs> having been almost chomped by a shark. Fantastic. And they, they are not small sharks either. Like, I mean, like, in terms of, like, you know, movie sharks in, that you're going to have in a swimming pool, like, they're a decent size. Yeah. And here's they're, another, they're not goldfish. Here's another anecdote. When special effects coordinator John Steers, who, by the way, won an Oscar because he was in one of these little documentary documentaries I was watching, he won an Oscar for best um, special effects. And he says in the documentary that it's probably one of the last you'll see where there's only one person who wins the Oscar for special effects, which, of course, <laughs> is so true because – all special effects now done by huge teams. Yes, exactly. Um, but he, okay, so special effects coordinator John Steers provided a supposedly dead shark to be towed around the pool, but the shark, which was still alive, revived at one point. <laughs> <laughs> Due to the dangers on the set, stuntman Bill Cummings demanded an extra fee of 250 pounds to double for Largo's sidekick Quist as he was dropped into the pool of sharks. Okay, so that was the actor, the henchman, Largo's henchman, who gets thrown yes. to the sharks early on. Crazy stuff. You can imagine that if there were health and safety people on set <laughs> at this time, uh, they would have been. Um... Well, also, like, I mean, were there, were there animal cruelty people on set? Because I'm pretty sure at one point they shoot a shark with a harpoon gun, and I'm fairly sure they actually did that. Looking at it, I'm like, yeah, they, I'm pretty sure they shot that shark. I mean, yeah, look. I don't know what the animal cruelty regulations or animal protection regulations when they sort of came in, but I imagine if they've just gone to like some big fishermen locally on site and gone, hey, we need some sharks that we can shoot. And they've gone, yeah, yeah, we'll go catch you some, throw them in a pool, <laughs> harpoon them, 
you know what I mean? Like, I can totally see that. Yeah, happening. no, no, absolutely. It just, it was like. And, yeah, and I, I think... would go, but what about animal cruelty? And it's like, it's a shark, man. It's a shark. <laughs> Also, it's 1964. Like yeah. you know, <laughs> we're not we're not killing a very cute little you know possum here or something. I don't know what's a cute animal. A dolphin. Kill, well, <laughs> well, yeah, I, that's the thing. Uh, maybe they would have killed a dolphin back well, then. Well, maybe. <laughs> but certainly a shark. I can imagine. I can imagine these days people would be like, "Yeah, it's a shark. Just kill it." So there's all sorts of great. Oh, would they? What today? Like a lot of people still think you should. It just well, animals like sharks and snakes and anything that has kind of a reputation for being ooh spooky, scary, dangerous. A lot of people will still kill it rather than let it go. Yeah, I guess. But, I guess. I'm not saying they're right. I'm I just, think there would be an outrage if if a film actually depicted oh, yeah, a shark being shot with. Sorry, a, I just meant in general. I didn't. Yes, mean, no, that's true. Yeah. I didn't mean in 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 film terms. <laughs> I don't no, that's think right. You do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't think you could have like Clint Eastwood filming with an orangutan anymore. I th- I don't think that's allowed. So there's so much about this film, and probably all of the Bond films have crazy special effects and all of the various things. So I will keep trying to be researched and up on it, but it's definitely worth a read of the Wikipedia page to see. <laughs> how they did a lot of it (laughs) but yes anyway we should get back on track and talk about the well i mean the thing is that they had a lot of money to film with this scene so i think they went yeah let's go all out and given that let's go all out and show every single second that we shot (laughs) okay i'm sensing a theme i'm sensing (laughs) i think the irony will be is if our podcast like goes longer than the running time of this yes yes we we should definitely try to rein it in (laughs) <laughs> for that very reason. So do you want to start with your uh, one-minute challenge while I try yes. and get a very annoying cat out of my... <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, well, I... Um, area. So I started with uh, So Long uh, <laughs> because this movie is 10 hours long. Uh, next item on my uh, list, sexual harassment. <laughs> Just straight-up sexual harassment. Now, the thing is, in Bond films... <laughs> Normally, what you get is James Bond being quite suave and maybe being a little bit forceful, more forceful than you would expect someone to be with modern eyes. But, you know, in a in a 60s man of action sort of way, he will often, you know, press his case, so to speak, onto women. Uh, yeah. In this one, he literally blackmails a nurse into sex. <laughs> That's not subtext. That is text. In the movie. Super text. <laughs> um, yeah, that's right. And look, you know, in the end, she seems pretty into it, but still actually blackmailed. Like like proper sexual harassment of a medical professional trying to do her job and then actual blackmail for sex. But it's <laughs> real bad, Natalie. It doesn't play well at all. <laughs> well, what I wrote for that in mind was Bond at a health clinic. Yeah. So um, <laughs> that's literally <laughs> what I wrote. <laughs> I get that. And the thing was, is that it was surprising to me and a little bit disappointing doing this from the rewatch perspective, because I remember, of course, the scene where he gets the girl and they go into the sauna, you know, very sexy scene. But I'd forgotten the bits and pieces leading up to it where he's kind of done. He's kind of done like the she's like, raise your hands up and he raises his hands up and then just drops them down her back and just kisses her. And then she, to her credit. Real real awful shit. (laughs) Again, I feel like she is probably used to it because she doesn't seem that. That doesn't make it better. I'm not <laughs> trying to justify the I'm fact just... that she has to put up with this crap from but... every single lecherous bastard who comes into that clinic. Okay. Well, one final <laughs> thing is, she says she's the one who says, "Oh, you won't tell the boss, I'll lose my job." And he goes, "Well, I, I think my silence could have a price." And she's like, "Oh no." 
was that a bit playful? Was that a bit? I mean, it was meant to be like, don't get me wrong. It's meant to be playful. Like, like I'm not, I'm not suggesting that he forced himself on her, but it is problematic as heck. <laughs> uh, All right. I'll give like, you that one. Real bad. You can make a defense, I think, of every interaction that Bond has in all three films leading up to this, right? You cannot defend this. This is this is outright sexual harassment and then blackmailing a woman into sex. It is skeevy behavior from the world's best super spy. I probably shouldn't be laughing. <laughs> I wonder why they did it that way. I wonder if they just, because that is a change of tone. It's much more obvious. And that's what was so striking to me about it, because in the past, like, it's, you know, it's been uh, situational and, and Bond's always been, like, quite suave. And he's obviously, part of his character is that he's a womanizer and he follows his magic dick around. <laughs> and now, and, but this is a case where it, it, he comes off as kind of creepy and desperate, which is weird. It's a weird yeah, thing. It's true. It's like he shouldn't have to, because at other points of the film, there are women who just kind of look af- look after him, not look after him, like, like oh, they're there. But <laughs> he walks past and they'll kind of look behind as he goes. And, and that's right. Like, he's, a, he's a ladies man. And, and like ladies want to be with him. Like that's yeah. the that's the thing. He doesn't have to like beg and plead and, and sexually harass a nurse. <laughs> you know, like it just it comes off as real pathetic, actually. Yeah, you do really think that Bond would just be able to look at her and go, oh, hello, and she'd be like, oh, okay, oh. let's jump into bed. This is the best therapy you Mr. need. Bond. But he also, again, not trying to defend, but he then gives her a very nice massage with the mink glove. <laughs> Like, that shows That's a little true. bit of sensitivity in lovemaking. And as I said, like, you know, afterwards, I mean, the thing is, like, you know, I'm sure he, he knows his way around. Like, he's no slouch, but, and she certainly seems into it afterwards, but that doesn't excuse the fact that he definitely blackmailed her for sex. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we've got that one tick off. Ticked off. Third point on my Get list. So long, on. Natalie. So long, this movie. Oh, my God. Uh, fourth point on my list, sharks, actual sharks. We talked about this already, but like I thought it was really cool that they, they had what was obviously real-life sharks. I guess because for 1965, the, any sort of fake shark that they have would just look like Batman on the on the helicopter ladder with oh. the, the shark repellent spray. Yeah, you think about Jaws, which is still 10 years away. Yeah. And when I was doing my uh, recap for From Russia With Love, I was making jokes about... Robert Shaw, who played Quint in Jaws and throwing in a few Jaws gifs, and you see the shark from Jaws. It's not convincing, Stu. No, no, it's not. No. And I assume when you were seeing it at the cinema for the first time and and as a kid on VHS or something, you'd be like, oh, my God, giant shark, oh, scary. But you look now and go, really? It's very plastic. Well, one of the the saving graces of Jaws, of course, I mean, you you know, you almost certainly know this, but, like, one of the saving graces of Jaws is the fact that Bruce, the the mechanical shark, kept malfunctioning and they couldn't get it to do what they wanted it to. And so the film is this tense standoff between an unseen yes monster and and this boat full of full of dudes and that's what makes it work and if there was like a giant mechanical rubber shark like throwing themselves and roaring at people it it would not have been the movie that it It, turned out to be it would absolutely have been a flop i think it it, it would have been a a fun like bad movie night movie that people would be like oh jaws can you remember this And Spielberg would have gone on to a fine career of making parody films with the wayans brothers yes yes exactly yeah but uh, so the next the next item on my list was uh, in this movie, there's lots of getting out of the water and straight into cars. I don't know why that stood out <laughs> to me, but 
That happens more than once, and it's weird. There's also, there's also a great array of um, beachwear, swimwear. Yeah, well, well, this is Bond my next scenes, point, Natalie. Bond this is my scenes. next point. Oh, really? Tiny shorts. <laughs> uh, the scene of Bond in the smallest shorts in the universe. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you can see Sean Connery's entire dick when he gets out of the, the water. Can you, can you just tell me what minute of the film uh, this was? <laughs> so I can just go back and pause it. <laughs> I was sitting there going, everyone talks about, like, the the Bond girls. Like, holy shit. Like, there's, there's some eye candy right there. What the hell is going on? He is naked except for, like, a very wet piece of fabric. Um, <laughs> but the other thing I love is that he, he manages to pull shirts from... Yeah, like, there's always, like, a shirt somewhere. <laughs> he's always able to get a shirt, even... Sometimes it's justified, like, when he swims over to Domino's boat when he first, you know, engineers a meeting with her. Sure. And says, oh, our boat's broken down. Can I get a lift back with you? And they drive past and his, you know, local um, connection, Paula, throws him a shirt. So sometimes they justify it. Other times he just has a shirt on, even though he hasn't had a shirt before. Yes, yeah, so suddenly he they have it. Suddenly he has a shirt. Yeah. James Bond's magically appearing Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> he just has to think hard and they appear. Pretty good. It's pretty good. Steve. It is pretty good. The next, um, well, I, actually, you might want to say this for later, but I, I wrote down a uh, Volpe henchwoman or Bond girl, but I guess you can make the same argument about Pussy Galore, but we can definitely talk about that uh, when we get to the Bond girls, maybe. But I, I really wanted to, to talk about that because this is the first instance, I think, of that sort of phenomenon that I think will happen in a couple of other movies coming up where, yeah, uh, like, yeah, is she a Bond, Bond girl? girl? I mean, Domino is obviously a Bond girl. Is Volpe yeah. a Bond girl? Or is yeah. she a henchwoman? Is she is she more of an odd job character? Like, is, I'd say Vargas is supposed to be Vargas and the other guy whose name I forgot. Yeah, I meant to be the henchman. But um, she's like the operative. She's like the other mm. Spectre operative working on that particular case for Spectre. Yeah, yeah. But it's she, good. I, I liked her. I liked yeah. her a lot, and I like that um, she is immune. Uh, she has the the uh, spell immunity to uh, James Bond's magic dick. Well, and she outright says that, but then she pretty, she enjoyed the tumble that they had, which was completely oh, sure. unnecessary. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. He knows Why that she's you? there. She's wearing a spectre ring. He's pinged who she is. And then she's like, oh, I guess we better have sex. And he's like, oh, well, I've got the hots for Domino, but hey, look. <laughs> While I'm Marjorie here. Is here. <laughs> and then he, he even... He even says later, she goes, you know, I, he tries to save face. He's like, do you think that what I did was for pleasure? It was for, for queen and country. He says king and country. Or king and country. Because I noted that. Because I went, surely he should be saying queen and country. But I think it might sound weird to be saying that I'm, I'm fucking for her <laughs> I'm, majesty. I'm boning down for her majesty. This is for you, Elizabeth II. Oh, yeah. Da, da. <laughs> I just I feel like the the phrase king and country is kind of a phrase. Yes, no, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the the queen was relatively new at that point. I mean, when did she her? She it was the fifties when she'd been on the throne for twelve years at that point. Uh, yeah, I guess you. Fifty two, fifty three. So this is sixty five. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. She, I guess maybe it was still like like king and country was still a a more common phrase than than queen yeah. and country. I guess. But yeah. Um. So there there was that. Uh. The next point on my list was uh so long, Natalie. The movie is so long. <laughs> So having said that, really? having said that, the next point on my list is speed ramping. Lots of speed ramping in this movie. Yes. Oh a my noticeable God, amount of speed ramping to the point where it looked like an episode of television. The boat uh, chase at the end. Oh, God. Because the thing is, though, Stu, a boat that's going fast for a boat <laughs> yes. is still not going so fast that you'll 
be convinced that it's dangerous if you're just filming. No, that's right. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's hard to make that that play on film, and so yeah. they've just ramped the crap out of the out of the footage. Speed boats and small boats, sure, and jet boats. Like later on in Live and Let Die, there's a fantastic uh, riverboat chase with speed yes, boats. Yes, yes, there is. And but th- those big boats, because he says at one point, oh, it does almost twenty knots, which is fast for a big boat, mm. but it's still not that fast compared to cars or planes or. <laughs> Having having said all that, that boat very cool. Like, oh, like the way God. the way it does a does a like a, a Thunderbird style detach and, and that sort of thing. Oh, Release fantastic! The cocoon. <laughs> and it becomes a higher powered boat. It's so good. And then the people on the cocoon part just stay there firing at the navy. You'd think they'd be like, all right, well we've been abandoned. I'm off. Jump into the water. Doop, doop, doop. Oh, that's Spectre. Yeah, that's true. They are very loyal, and they probably fear number one. Yes. Anyway, continue. And, and then, and then uh, the, the final thing on my list was, oh, it's over. Oh, yeah. Uh, because it, it just kind of ends. And after yeah. all that, after over two hours of tedious underwater footage, <laughs> um, this movie finishes with no quip, no no uh, resolution, just put up the sky hook and did it, did it, did it, did it, bye. Yeah, what? You'd, he'd, you'd think he'd say something like. He doesn't um, have a one-liner. Let's let I was waiting for the one liner. Yeah. Um from the sea to the sky. I'm trying to think of what maybe they tried a whole bunch of things and nothing worked. Maybe I'll Call it. some dominoes. <laughs> here's, a good, here's a good competition, because I can't think of one off the top of my head right now because I've been immersed in Bond for the last three days and I'm going slightly insane. But if you have a great pun for the end of Thunderball, so <laughs> Bond and Domino, they've jumped away from the disco volante, it's crashed, they're okay, they get dropped a life raft, hooks up to a giant balloon flare thing. Uh, the plane does a loop back and then somehow pulls them up, ricochets them into the air, and then yes. it cuts to a blue screen shot of them just looking casually like they're hanging as opposed to then yeah. the wide shot, which is a <laughs> <laughs> like a slingshot into the That's air. That's right, yeah, yeah. Well, what looks like a deeply unpleasant experience yes. for, them, for actually like being caught by a plane. Uh, which was a real thing. Like that's a skyhook. Like like that that yeah. that was a real thing that existed. Um, Very cool. But yeah. there, is a, there is a difference between what it looks like from the wide shot to the close up. <laughs> so if you have a good pun for what Bond should have said on their way into the sky, I don't know. Look up. Uh, call in. Or, Let me take you to heaven. Yeah, yeah, that would have been good. Um, Let's get out of these wet things. Uh, <laughs> I think that's already a line in the movie, though. Yeah, oh, probably yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, Volpe says that to Bond. It's like, you should take out, get out of your wet things. You'll cut your death. So if you have a good pun, call in and I'll organise some sort of prize, uh, which will probably just be reading it out on the next episode of the podcast. <laughs> so, yeah, do that. Please do. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's my that's list. So, so I, 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 I think I skipped over a bunch of stuff, but uh, what, what did you have? I started by saying, uh, hello, Stu, jetpack. Now, jet yes, pack. I forgot about the jetpack. There's a drag fight at the start, uh, obviously, <laughs> when Bond realises that the widow of the Spectre operative who's been killed is not, in fact, He's actually the Spectre operative. It's in the Spectre the operative, Jacques Fantastic. Bonnard. And he yeah. spots this. He, I, 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 noticed, yeah. I noticed this. He spots this. Because the widow opens the door for herself, which no, is such a yes. charming uh, 60s yep. thing. No grieving woman would open a door for herself. <laughs> 
I tell you what, though, that uh, Jacques Bovard wears a tight funeral dress very well. It, it was definitely like a woman for most of the shots, and then right at the end, they, they switched to the guy in the, in yes. the dress. Yeah. <laughs> I thought so, because I'm sitting there going, it felt like a bit of a jarring cut. Yes. And I was like... They've definitely faked that, right? Like, that's, yeah, yeah. okay. <laughs> but then he escapes from the room, having tossed a bunch of flowers over the corpse. Yes. <laughs> runs onto the Which is the a nice touch. It's yeah. a nice touch. I love that, you know, Bond, he takes pleasure in his work. Yeah, and he really could have done with taking that extra five seconds and getting a head start on the people. Sure, but he's like, you know, you know what? If you're going to do something, do it properly. Yeah. So he then runs onto the balcony and puts on a very clunky jetpack. Where where did he keep that? Did did he did he fly it he there? Did? Yeah, I think maybe they're implying <laughs> he flew in. But the thing is, it's not a particularly subtle form of transport. No, it's as big as he is. And there's a so, lot. I think there's a lot about that jetpack. Like that was an actual jetpack. Wait, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a um a a, a for real jetpack. I'm trying to find what, like like a jetpack like. like that you could use to fly. Yes, and it was, and they had like one shot to do it, and they got it in one in one shot. Oh god, and, no wonder they didn't use it more. Yeah, I'm sitting there yeah, going, yeah. why not make that the big like centerpiece of the fight? Like have a jetpack fight for God's sake, you know? And it's like no, because it's a real jetpack, and they can only do one thing. Yeah, they had a 30 second window to get the flight. They managed to get it. And everyone went, whew. They went, well, that's good. Here we go. The Bell Rocket Belt is a low-power rocket propulsion device that allows an individual to safely travel or leap over small distances. It is a type of rocket pack. In Thunderball, the rocket belt was used by Bond to escape from the chateau in the pre-title sequence, etc. It made a cameo appearance in Die Another Day. Oh, how cute. <laughs> I'm just trying to find its use in the film. Okay, so... The flight sequence made use of a combination of rear projection effects featuring actor Sean Connery and an actual 20-second flight by pilot Bill Souter. Initially, to appear more debonair, 007 was to fly the jetpack without a helmet. Indeed, some publicity photos and promotional material of Connery with the jetpack lacked a helmet. However, it was decided that he should wear a helmet after the pilot refused to make the flight without one for safety reasons. <laughs> He's like, no, are you insane? I'm absolutely wearing a helmet. I did notice that he kind of had his helmet ready and he put his helmet on. And I'm yeah. like, okay, that's that's yeah. probably because the stuntman wouldn't take his helmet off. That's right. He was like, you think I'm going to come crash landing down? <laughs> um, I'm just trying to find, but it, yeah, I, I think there was like a very limited time, limited ability to get the shot, but they were able to get the shot. But that's all, you know, they couldn't use it for anything. Fantastic. Okay, well, that makes a lot more sense. I was, I was like, Jesus, that's weird that they have a jetpack for like 30 seconds and then it's just in the boot of the DB5 and we never see it again. Yeah, but again, it's that whole like big opening. Yeah, like the cold open. Swaggery, like, yeah, cold open stunt where you would have been sitting there going, wow, then you don't get anything quite as exciting again. <laughs> It's Can I say, I don't know whether you agree with this, but like that scene and this movie more generally feels like it spawned both Get Smart specifically, which I know was a, a direct parody of James Bond films specifically, but like I feel like this is the movie that inspires so much of just the look of this movie and like the suits that Bond wears and that sort of thing. It just reminds me of Get Smart. And then yeah. not only that, but Inspector Gadget as well, which obviously is like specifically like one step on from because of the jetpack. Yeah, I was like, I was like, this is Inspector Gadget. <laughs> yeah, well, Claw is it Claw from uh, yeah, Claw, Inspector Claw Gadget? Yeah, Claw is Bloodbelt. Because he's got a 
cat, doesn't he? He's got you a cat, yeah. You absolutely. never see him, you just see the cat, yeah. And of that course, like uh, uh, Maxwell Smart fights against, he's uh, an agent of control against uh, the, the evil forces of chaos with chaos. a K. Yeah, such good names. That's the thing about um, I, Get Smart. I love Get Smart. I haven't seen it for years, but it was always on repeats after yeah. school in the, I guess, 80s, 90s. How old am I? Um, but yeah, you'd come <laughs> home and Bewitched or I Dream of Genie and Get Smart would always be sort of your weekday afternoon repeat. Yeah. Programming. Get smart. Uh, Get smart is is so good. It's really really uh, fun. It's an eminently parody parodyable genre. It is, yeah. The spy genre. It's super fun. And and then aspects of this film are clearly in Austin Powers, which oh, brings yes. me back yeah. to my list. Which yes, my cat sorry, yes. Sitting on. <laughs> No, 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 I just thought that's a really good segue, bring it back, but then the cat was on the list, is the giant spectre room, operations room. Yes, I thought that, like (laughs) everyone's sitting around, and then the the, the death chair. The death chair for the person who, you know, misbehaved or did the wrong thing. (laughs) And that's very much parodied with the, it's it's Will Ferrell, isn't it, who's who's like, no, I'm still alive, I'm okay, someone help me. I'm very badly injured. Yeah. Uh, what else is on my list? I've got the – oh, yes, the, the, the scheme. I mentioned the health clinic earlier, obviously, with the uh, – mm-hmm. but he's at this scheme. <laughs> By the way, the health clinic is called Shrublands <laughs> or Scrublands. Shrublands. Like, can you think of a less appealing place to go for a health tonic than Shrublands? But also, I was – so was he going to the health clinic because he got a bit – knocked around on that mission. Yeah, that so, and, and in a similar way to um, Goldfinger, he starts off in Miami at a fancy hotel. And I think the whole idea is once you finish a mission as a double O agent, they, you know, send you off somewhere nice to recuperate. Right. If you've been injured or if you need a little bit of R&R. But it just feels, I mean, like, you know, most of his missions involve him getting knocked around a fair bit. Like, I mean, does he does he always go to the <laughs> go to the spa afterwards? Like... I mean, I think that's only fair. He's sure, putting his life on the line. That's true. He's, that's he's true. He's had to jump out of planes or scuba dive or whatever. I, I feel happy that, you know, a public servant such as James Bond is getting some time to, to be back up to his physical best. Sure. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> but I did love – it is a coincidence that he's there and all this stuff starts happening because the Air Force Base – It's a total coincidence, died. right? Total coincidence, but, you know, that's Bond. He happens to be in the right place at the right time. That's it. In order to see shonky goings-on and bandaged people. And the, the thing that's great about that sequence is he just starts having a, a deathly competition with the, these guys there. Count Lip, or Lipper is the first one who's wearing, who's got the symbol, which is a tong symbol. Yes. And he's the one who flicks Bond's back-stretching traction machine now, can I, can I just drive. ask you, Natalie, why does that machine have a possible certain death option? Yes. <laughs> it feels like that's a design flaw to me. I don't know. <laughs> it's like, look, we're never going to use it, but yeah. we just have the, you know, the <laughs> 100 per hour version. Yeah. It's just, it's got to be there. It's that's like, it. why, do, yeah. why do cars have speedometers that go up to 200 k's an hour? <laughs> it's like, just in case. When there's no road that you can go that fast on in Australia. But why do they go up that fast? Um, but you're very right, Stu. It has a, it has, <laughs> it has like slow, medium, strong death. Death. <laughs> it just flicks it. And Torn Bond apart. Is, Bond is really just 
it's it's a very strange movement, and I, I wonder if they actually had something moving and then they had to speed it up or if they just got Sean Connery to kind of throw himself back and forth. <laughs> I think probably a bit of both. There's a bit of speed ramping and also a bit of uh, pain acting from, from Connery. <laughs> and he faints, and then the, the, the lady well, comes What back. I love is that that could have been the end for Bond. Like, if the nurse hadn't have come in, that was how James Bond died, torn apart by a spinal traction machine. Yeah. There, I mean, there's a lot of points in Bond films where you think he's going to die, and the way he gets out of it is someone switches it off. Sure. Yes. <laughs> I'm pretty sure in I'm pretty sure in Moonraker when he gets tripped in the um uh, oh, I don't the, know uh, the, the, the centrifuge yeah, yeah the centrifuge machine I'm pretty sure someone just turns it off and then he steps out going ah oh, a bit dizzy like you would be vomiting but we'll get to that when we get to Moonraker <laughs> yes I had a great conversation with my grand today uh, she's obviously still in her residential care home uh, they won't let her out I was talking about how I had to had to ring off to go keep writing my Bond stuff. And she was like, oh, who is your favourite James Bond? And I said, well, look, I've, I've really got a soft spot for Sean Connery. And she said, I like Roger Moore. I think he was the most handsome. And I just can't stand that Scottish accent. Another time when, because I've, you know, had family in Glasgow for years and uh, love Glasgow. It's a fantastic city. And I was telling this to Gran some time ago. She's like, oh, what do you want to go to Glasgow for? It's a horrible city. Very dirty. <laughs> and I said, when was the last time you were in Glasgow? And she said 1942. <laughs> <laughs> and look, to be fair to her, in 1942, Glasgow was probably a bit of a shithole. Not going to um, argue with you. Industrial city at the end of its industrial glory. Yeah, a lot of social problems. <laughs> totally with you there. Very different now. I mean, yes, there's still probably social problems, but it's, yeah, it's just the way that she's like, oh, 1942. But I guess we all get that way, isn't it? Because, like I said, having these DVDs and working out, when did I get these? I was like, I was in my early 20s when I got these DVDs. You know, this is <laughs> almost 20 years ago. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, very old and I guess time starts to it's like it wasn't that long ago that I got these DVDs they're still in my drawer surely I would have thrown them out if they were that old (laughs) no no they are they are artifacts you keep things and they become old and then you are also old and that sucks (laughs) but you know look that's just the global pandemic forcing me to consider my own mortality (sighs) fun what else did I have on my list? Yes, so we have the plan is for Spectre. They've had a guy have facial surgery to make him look exactly like Francois Duval. That, that's one of those bit of bonkers uh, spy, 60s spy movie things where I'm just like, sure, whatever. That, that's sure. that's cool. I'm into it. Why didn't they just get one of the masks that they Yeah, used? I mean, they had they have those Spectre. masks, right? <laughs> He's like, no, 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 I had to do all the training and get my face surgically operated. And I'm like, just get one of the masks from Russia, from Russia with Love. They're clearly very good. Look just like Sean Connery, that guy in the maze. Anyway, so yes, the giant spectre room I mentioned, uh, and then I was running out of time. So I wrote, ah, Bahamas, sharks, uh, breathing <laughs> equipment. Q makes a uh, field visit, which is super oh, yes, fun. Oh, yes, yes. I do love that bit. That was the other thing that reminded me of Inspector Gadget was him popping up in the field. It was like uh, when when the chief would pop up in a, in a bin or Larrabee would pop up in a tree. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of the things about the Bond films, particularly in the Roger Moore era, but like the overseas field officers get mm. increasingly elaborate. 
Yes. <laughs> and so in the Roger Moore ones, like there's one in a pyramid and there's one in a shipwreck and, you know, they're all these sort of, oh, my God, that's a real place that exists. It's a secret MI6 base, you know, and I love, <laughs> I love that as a kid. Yeah. Uh, so this is a, a little taste of beginning of that with Q just popping out of a door and going, all right, I've got you another supply rack of things that will all come in handy on this mission. Yes. <laughs> all very specifically will come in handy. In the documentary I was watching just before, and I'm, I'm not to talk too much about documentaries, but I thought this was hilarious. One of the producers or someone on the film got a call from the uh, British Navy <laughs> saying, oh, hi, we're, we're looking to talk to people about Thunderball. It's like, oh, yeah, I can chat to you about what, how can I help. And they said, well, we're very interested in the technology you used in the film, particularly the micro-breathing apparatuses. We're just wondering uh, how long they last for and uh, what <laughs> uh, what kind of technology. <laughs> and he said, I'll, I'll tell you how long it lasts for as long as you can hold your breath. Yeah, that's right. And the, the guy was super embarrassed it's and hung up. not a real thing. Yes. <laughs> Not a real thing, but apparently the Navy were like, Although oh. has has become like has become not not a real thing, but has become like a trope. I think like the 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 mini rebreather thing has become like a a, a common thing in yeah, action look, movies. Sure, I feel I'm sure something like that exists. Yeah, look, okay, you literally just Google small scuba tank and there's some little mini scuba tanks that look like a water bottle size. So no, okay. not a not a little pen sized thing in your mouth but something that you could much more easily carry in a backpack rather than a big scuba tank so (laughs) yeah portable lungs there you go so have a look at that google if you fancy doing some swimming anytime soon and want to stay underwater but yes I, i did enjoy q's thing and also emil largo i didn't put him on my list but i do think he's quite an interesting bond villain well number two he's got the eye patch yeah and it is quite funny the way that when he has conversations with number one, it's like, number one, it's number two. Number two, it's number one. <laughs> like, wow, guys, you're all a bit gross. But yes. And number three gets involved and everyone gets confused. Yeah, well, you see a lot more of the numbers in the, in that giant Spectre war room. We, we get one through 25, I think. Yeah. And also, as a flip to that, you see the big operations room of MI6 and the Home Secretary yes, as they brief we, everyone. I love that the Bond comes into the um into the very small office where Moneypenny is, and she says, "Oh, it's just through there in the in the conference room." Yes. and he walks through into a cathedral. <laughs> like, is that the same building? Is that the <laughs> What is going on? And that's the thing. It's like it's supposed to be universal exports. It's supposed to be this very nondescript small office. (laughs) And then it just leads into the... Enormous, enormous room. This ludicrously large room. (laughs) With with giant um, tapestries. Giant tapestries. And giant uh, paintings that slide up to reveal immense display boards that we linger on for a about three seconds, and then we we move on. <laughs> someone someone says, "Oh, can you just show us where um it is?" And, and the guy goes, "Yes." This giant screen like appears, and he's like, "Oh, it's just there." And then they move on. <laughs> and I do love that they have this giant briefing where everyone's sitting quite socially distance appropriate. Actually, yes, yes, it's very they're all sitting super far modern. apart, <laughs> about twenty meters away from where the head table is for the briefing. And then they all get to open their On Her Majesty's Secret Service manila folder. I mean, how it's so cute. Like, when you think about it now, spies would have encrypted mobile phones or whatever devices yes, exactly. they have. Yeah, like an encrypted tablet or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least you know, it's like a manila folder that someone obviously had to put together. Like, like someone's yeah. done the photocopying. Yes. 
it's money penny. You know. you think <laughs> money penny. Oh, yeah, exactly. That's what she does. And so M says, you'll discuss your individual assignments with me. And Bond goes in. And he's had to do this for like 20 agents or however many were sitting there. Mm. He's had to go in in each one and going, right, you're going here. You're going here. And he says to Bond, I'm, I'm sending you to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> I just in my head at that moment I went, what was that movie? What was that movie where Bond <laughs> goes? But Bond enough. has like a fight chased by Mounties. Yes, he's like, oh hey there, Mr. Bond. Um, can we help you out? I, my Canadian accent is really bad. I should just do American and throw in a boot. Um, oh hey, Mr. Bond, we're really nice, happy people here. We're very polite. Can we find you anything anywhere nice to drink? Do you want a? Is it a bear claw? Is it a beaver tail? Do you want a beaver tail? You want a beaver tail? Yes, shaken, not stirred. <laughs> it's like a rustic Bond in the woods somewhere, <laughs> waiting for. <laughs> I don't think but Bond hasn't visited the wilds of Canada, has he? No, because and the same reason why he's never come to Australia, I think, is because it's just not that You exotic. could make a Bond film in Australia, especially especially in like the sixties and seventies. It was like it was like the other side of the world. That could have easily been a I know in a, a book thing. that I read, you know, because there's obviously been lots of books since, I know that in one of them Bond ends up in the outback, like dumped in the outback somewhere near Uluru and is rescued by a local indigenous group. And mm. uh, we, we get into problematic territory again there, I think. But, no, I, don't, I think it was done quite respectfully. It, it, this is like a late, this is like a more recent book, like within the last. Oh, okay, so so post Fleming. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, there's no Fleming books where he comes to Australia, but there's one since where, as part of this worldwide adventure, he gets dumped, you know, in the outback and has to survive and find a plant with water in it or something. Right. And he's he's helped by you know, local indigenous people and it's quite respectful from my memory. <laughs> he didn't kind of come in and go, ha ha, oh excellent. We're in the colonies. All right, you people. You know, he he didn't do that. So that was good. <laughs> that, that is good. I feel like, you know, anything above not that is is a good step forward. Yes, absolutely. Uh, now in rebuilding the the terrible, terrible legacy of British engagement with Indigenous Australia back in the day. <laughs> yeah, so I love the idea of, of Bond in Canada. I wish Bond would come to Australia, though. But I think he, he probably can't come here and have an Australian Bond girl or Bond enemy because I just don't know how that would work with the accent. Oh, I mean, that'd, I mean you could you could make that work. Could you? It'd be all sorts of, I mean, you know. Would, you it, could be, be... would it be Alf Stewart from Home and Away going, <laughs> you stinking bastard. <laughs> they, 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 they tap him to play Felix. Bond. He's, he plays Felix Leiter. <laughs> nah, it's Felix Midstrength here, mate. <laughs> Thank you. Be a that's joke. A, that's an exceptional joke, Natalie. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> if you liked my joke, please call in. Let me know. Um, I do need to keep working on them, but uh, I just pressed my brain's functioning enough to put to- together a coherent joke. <laughs> Now, the interesting thing about this film is that it was a screenplay before it was a novel, and that is one of the reasons why it was not the first Bond film produced, because it's the one that the Broccoli and Saltzman wanted to do first, but because the guy who co-wrote it with Ian Fleming, or at least they, they nutted out a screenplay which had never gone ahead, and then Fleming went on to write the book, and this chap, Kevin McClory, his name he sued Fleming I think because he said hang on you've taken this story that I helped create and you've gone and made a book and been very successful so in the end they were able to come to an agreement where he got producer credit on Thunderball and you can see that in this film he's credited as the producer and Saltzman and Broccoli are the 
executive producers and he got to retain rights over the aspects to the story, which is why he then went on to do Never Say Never Again with Sean Connery in 1983. Absolutely. Now, now was that screenplay where Spectre originated? Because I know that, that Spectre got tied up in all that nonsense. I don't know for sure. Let me try and have a look. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, I just know that the, the reason... So Spectre Plots. was a very big part of the early movies and then Spectre kind of goes away after a while. Yeah, I'm not sure. It doesn't say here. It just says that he retains rights to characters and plots, but it doesn't mention Spectre. Uh, Spectre. Let me see if I can find Spectre. I just like him going. And that's the other thing. Like, the Australian accents just aren't that exotic. Whereas you can have Russian or German or whatever Eastern European sort of accent that I'm doing here. And everyone can go, oh, you're very exotic. So would be like, oh, hi, James. Um, Can I get you uh, – do you want – do you need some new – uh, sunglasses or <laughs> okay you're right led by criminal mastermind i was trying to buy store for time with impressions while searching right. yes and then my brain just can't do two things at once this this whole idea that women's brains can multitask Stu, i'm telling <laughs> you i'm it's bollocks it's just that women through societal pressure have to do multiple things at once but they're not doing right. any of them particularly well that's i'm just saying Led by criminal mastermind Ernst Stavro Blofeld, the international organization first formally appeared in the novel Thunderball and in the film Dr. No. So one could assume from that that it was... I had heard previously that the reason Spectre sort of goes away for a whole bunch of movies after these early ones is because, like, it's tied up with that lawsuit. And so, so I was aware. I was aware that the, the lawsuit sort of had happened, and I, I'm, I was aware that the, it was a big deal that Spectre came back because they had finally resolved after like decades the rights issue. They'd finally got the rights to Spectre back, and so they could have Spectre as a as an yeah. organisation again. Yes, that I think you must be right because Spectre was dismantled in Diamonds Are Forever, and they were yes, and yes, yes, I remember. were retired from the Eon films, except for a cameo by Blofeld in For Your Eyes Only at the start. But due to a copyright dispute, the character is never referred to by name and is credited as wheelchair villain. (laughs) (laughs) One of the only times you'll see that, those two words next to each other. Okay, so yeah, so Spectre has now, and, and Spectre's coming up in No Time to Die. I just, I shouldn't get bogged down, but I just feel like there was such a good, yeah, I love Spectre. <laughs> love early Spectre. I, I love, I love Spectre, yeah. the organisation. I think that it's great to have like a, like a, a society of evil. Because otherwise, I mean, you're left with the, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the, the bonds in the, in the interim period where he's just fighting like drug cartels and, and, and weapons dealers. And it's like, it just feels... He feels like lesser. He needs a supervillain because he's a super spy. Yeah. You know, like... On the 15th of November 2013, MGM and the McClory Estate announced that they had formally settled the issue with Dan Jack LLC and MGM and had acquired the full copyright to the characters and concepts of Blofeld and Spectre. Having lost its mantle of acronym, now simply called Spectre, the organisation and Blofeld were the main antagonists in the first Bond film released after the settlement Spectre. 
which they then proceeded to make a very mediocre movie. But there we are. I know. They got it back and they they, they did genius. Cut. We'll, we'll talk about it when we get there. Yeah. <laughs> it's a ways away. We've got to it's stoke a, fires. It's a long way away. Stoke the fire, the rage fire. Look, maybe I'll rewatch it and have a different idea. But I, I just know that I was searching for GIFs for one of these pieces the other day. And I came across a piece of the the new Blofeld going, it's me, James, the author of All Your Pain. And I'm like, get fucked. Just <laughs> fucked. James Bond is not an angsty emo with your pain issues. He's not. Oh, my God. Stop it. Well, I mean, the, um, the, the current iteration of Bond is pretty angsty. I will say that. Yeah. And, hey, you know, I had a thought the other day. Casino Royale is 2006. Oh, That's God. before the smartphone. Or the iPhone at the very least. Yeah, like, like smartphones would be spy technology. Yeah. So we still have the same bond. Spectre is like the same year that Twitter came out was 2006. Sorry, not Spectre. Uh, Casino uh, Royale. Casino Royale, yes. <laughs> I was going to get very uh, weirded out then for a second. I'm like, wait, what? Casino Royale predates Twitter and sort of Facebook even because Facebook kind of went worldwide, I think, in 2006, seven. So you think about that. That's 14, 15 years, and so much yeah. has changed. And Donald Trump is president. <laughs> we actually haven't had a Bond film released during Donald Trump's presidency. No, this will be the first we? one. Yeah. Although, wait, they're releasing it in November. The U.S. election's early November. If the U.S. has an election and votes Donald Trump out... I see where you're going with this. We could have a Bond film not be tainted by Donald Trump's presidency. That's right. I mean, like, like the, the entire Trump era could be Bondless. Yeah. Technically, he's still president until the next inauguration in January. I get it. But, like, but also technically, he wouldn't be. So, no. you know, there'd be a better... <laughs> but also technically, the, the United States would have descended into a civil war by that stage. So Yeah, they're, they're probably going to have other things on their mind. <laughs> <sighs> don't think too much about it, Natalie. Don't nope, think too nope, much about nope. it. So with this story, and it's it's funny then that this is the story that's been so legally argued and, and controversial through the Bond franchise, and it's the one that from your end it sounds like, why did you bother? Yeah, it, it really <laughs> is. Or, or the very, I mean, having said that, the story is fine. Like the, the idea behind it, like an evil organisation steals two nuclear weapons and threatens to set them off unless they're given $100 million. <laughs> 100 million pounds. 100 million pounds, I beg your in, pardon. In blue-cut diamonds. In blue-cut diamonds, which are very traceable, is my understanding. Like, I'm not sure why they wanted them in diamonds, but okay, fine. Well, easier um, to carry. You don't want it in gold bullion. That's true. That's true. It is an easy way to carry it. I guess I guess it's one of those holdovers from, like, physical media, I guess, because nowadays you would just transfer the money to a to a Swiss yeah. bank account and, and it would be yeah. it would be done. And you don't want you don't want currencies rise and fall, whereas a diamond is always going to re- maintain a, a market value. Well that's true. It, it is a very it is a very sixties era spy movie that the the kidnappers want the the ransom in diamonds. Yes. Um, which was very cool. But just the the idea that there's this evil organization and they want to um that they they're ransoming the world basically. They steal these these bombs in a very elaborate plot and then Bond has to go and, and, and stop them. And there's a ticking clock, which is insane yeah. because this movie is so casual, <laughs> um, takes its time as and much as possible. That is a, that is something I did want to mention because there does seem to be a bit of timey-wimey wibbly-wobbliness. Oh, it's nuts. In, 
the events in this film. For example, with even within the same scene, there's a moment early on when Bond goes to the casino in Nassau and finds Domino there with Largo mm. and beats him at Baccarat because he's Bond and that's what he does. And then he goes and takes her to dinner and they go dancing at the casino. Remember dance? Remember close-up dancing when you could dance? She, she says, I want to go dance. And I, I was fully expecting, I don't know why, but I was fully expecting them to go and, like, dance. Like, And I think that happens over the course of the 60s. You go from, like, close-up dancing being just a normal thing to that, that sort of more go-go dancing, like everyone goes and yeah. dances individually. Well, the Bond films, they kind of miss the excesses of the swinging 60s. They definitely do because, because they, are, they not, are hardcore conservative. <laughs> that's not what Bond is about. Uh, there's, there's a bit of that reflected in the fashion, obviously, with the women and the skirts and you know, leather boots and stuff, stuff that but might. Even that, even that, a lot of the, a lot of the, um, the evening wear and even just the, the, the standard like day wear of a lot of the women is very throwbacky as well. It's I... modern in, in some ways, like, like a lot of sleek lines and stuff like <laughs> that, but it's very, it's very like elegant and, and there's no go-go boots. But no, but I think also is that's not everyone wearing that. It's like no, that's saying, true, yeah. It's like saying, oh, we're in the we're in the or the two thousands. We've all got emo haircuts and wear ties and braces and kilt miniskirts <laughs> with Converse shoes. Like it's a particular subgroup. Sure, go-go. Yes, exactly. Like for example, people think of the twenties and they think of everyone, every woman, a woman wearing flapper dresses, mm. like short, shimmery kind of things. But the majority, if you look at actual photos from the twenties, they're fairly simple, sort of boxy, long dresses they're not yes. all flashy so uh, what you're thinking of is a nightclubby kind of look as opposed to sure. the circles bonds mixing in which would have that's stood true. And, and that's a very good point and i was thinking that too is that he's mixing in very high class uh situations you know so this yeah. is very glamorous and, and, and this, this is the thing this is not like you know you go to the casino now and i can rock up there before 5 p.m. <laughs> in shorts and thongs and they'll let me in the, the Treasury Casino in Brisbane is one of the only places where they will let you in. Um, you could, you would have to be like. But I've been to other casinos in Australia. It's, just, it's an Australian thing. But this is the thing. I love Nassau is super hot, but everyone there, all the men are in black tie or white tie. Of course, you go into the casino. You're like, you would have all been sweating like it's bastards. Like, it's like that beautiful, that, that wonderful line from um, Alec Baldwin in Thirty Rock as Jack Donaghy, where he's like, "It's after six. What am I, a farmer?" I've never seen much 30 Rock, I have to Oh, that's, it's one of my favourite lines ever. She's like, why are you wearing a tuxedo? He's like, it's after 6pm. What am I, a farmer? <laughs> it's very good. But that's the thing. You change. You had your evening dress. And and what's funny to me is there's a moment where Felix Leiter, who's a different Felix again. A different Felix again. Is that a running thing now? Like, like we're just going to get a different Felix every time? I must look him up. Uh, let me find out who that actor was. We, we, we've had a different Felix in all three appearances. Yeah, well, you know, keep it fresh. <laughs> sure. Except I, I not, the way he's, he's, he's even he goes, older this time. Well, hello, double O. <laughs> punch to the gut. <laughs> yeah, he just gets punched in the gut. And, but what I what I love is that if it was if it was the Felix from the previous movie, you would have <laughs> that moment of hang on, what the hell? But because it's just some guy. Like he just hello double up, and then later afterwards we find out it's Felix. Okay, this guy's name was Rick Van Nutter. Awesome. And this is his best known film. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and he had a few other little minor roles in. Oh, there you go. He was married to film actress Anita Ekberg from 1963 until 1975. She was the one who was in the poster on the wall from 
from Russia with Love. Oh, okay. She should have kept her mouth shut. <laughs> there you go. There's a fun Fantastic. little Fantastic. That's really cool. So that, that's what a weird Rick Van Nutter, a minor actor. Rick had Van Nutter. Role. God, he must have thought things were going to pick up after this film. He's like, he, I'm in a Bond film. I've made it. Yeah. You know, supporting character, but I'm playing a named character. I'm part of it. Yeah. Like, Things are going to really pick up for me. But then he and Anita Ekberg lived in Spain and Switzerland and starting a sh- started a shipping business together. Maybe that's what he did. Maybe that's how he got his – his last film was in 1979. So, yeah, clearly he he, he thought, oh, bugger this. <laughs> wow. Now I feel like I need to do – we need to do like an episode solely devoted to all the Felix Lighters. <laughs> Actually, yeah, someone well- suggested that on Twitter that we – talk about the different Felix lighters. I'm stealing that idea, Holus Bolus, clearly. Fair enough. Someone did suggest in a tweet, so I thought that could be something quite fun to, to go through and do like a Felix. Well, we could we could rank the Felixes. I mean, we, have, we haven't we have ranked uh, anything other than the movies yet, so, I mean, we could definitely uh, do, the, do our favourite Felixes. Yes, that's right. <laughs> so um, time is what I was talking about, Stu. Yes, yes. yes. When Bond is dancing with Domino at the casino and he's trying to grill her for information very obviously by the way <laughs> she even yes. says things like you ask a lot of questions you ask a lot of questions and he keeps saying oh, do i tell me more about emil lago <laughs> <laughs> what's his likes what's his dislikes turn-ons turn-offs what's his daily schedule does he yeah. have any what's his security system at his, at his house like how many henchmen would you say are around him at any given time <laughs> ballpark does ballpark. he have any uh, dangerous pets <laughs> Wow, it really, it's so nice how you focus on me in the conversation. <laughs> but there's there's a really lovely moment, though, when they're dancing and she talks about her brother and that she's never met, the, the problem is she's never been able to meet anyone like him. And Bond says, oh, just men like me and Largo. And she says, oh, you're not like Largo. But I thought that was really interesting that Bond put himself in there with Largo in that sort of sentence. Well, I think, I mean, what, what one of James Bond's, uh, certainly the early James Bond's saving grace is that he seems to know that he's a piece of shit. Like okay, he kind yeah. of, <laughs> that, that's definitely my my feeling. Like, like, you know, he does swagger around like he, he's the duck's nuts, but he definitely... <laughs> Sorry, the what? The duck's nuts. Have you never... No, I think I have heard that phrase, but not for a long time. <laughs> that's quality. But, you know, like, like I think he does <laughs> know that deep down he's second. a... We're not blowing past that comment. I just no, no, no. But I just want again the creation of that. (laughs) Why the duck? Why are the ducks nuts particularly superior? I think it has a lovely alliterative quality. Well, it it does, but it's not the duck being proud of its nuts. You're not swanning around like a duck proud of its nuts. You're swanning around like you're like the nuts themselves. Yeah. So the duck is disposable it's the duck's nuts that really elevate you to another level if you're like them i i had never done an etymological uh <laughs> deep dive on that particular phrase but you're right it does it is a bit strange like like many australian phrases it, it, it is australian it is it's not I, a, i'm almost i i would imagine it is definitely australian duck's nuts i'm just doing a very quick google search <laughs> Do a quick fact check. Urban Dictionary. Singular. To be excellent, a very high standard like the bee's knees. So clearly the bee's knees wasn't good enough for Australians. (laughs) So, you know, bees Um, are quite small. Yeah, it doesn't say – I I can't find any history. It's just, yes, it means it's great. (laughs) (laughs) 
Now I want to do a comedy sketch where, like, everything on the menu at a restaurant is, like, the duck's nuts or the bee's knees. (laughs) And then it's like, how was everything? Awful. Just awful. Um, okay, somewhere is making a cherry-filled donut, savoury donut called the Ducks Nuts. Somewhere in Australia, someone is making this this product and it's called the Ducks Nuts. That sounds like the Ducks Nuts. That, that does sound like the Ducks Nuts. That's fantastic. <laughs> Just, anyway, time <laughs> is what I was talking about. Domino yes. says to Bond, the way you hold me, you know, she's like, oh, the way you hold me, you're not like him. He's He's mean. And we definitely do get a physical sense of danger from Largo as well. Particularly at the end when he realizes that Domino's, you know, in league with Bond now. He he's yes. got to torture her with, you know, cigarette matches and ice and stuff. And it's like quite terrifying. Like he's not a good dude. And and I do love the fact that she's the one who harpoons him in the end. So it does work quite it does work quite well. I I thought it was replaying yeah. that moment in my mind, I find it very satisfying. <laughs> Uh, I'm glad I killed him. And meanwhile, the boat with that speed ramping is like... <laughs> <laughs> outside the window, is like... <laughs> Bond says, when are you leaving Nassau? And she says, the day after tomorrow. And then Largo rocks up and says, oh, we've got to go, but why don't you come over to my estate, Palmyra, and have lunch on Sunday at noon? And he goes, uh, now, okay, I was, I was Sunday confused. At noon. So is that... Sunday, like she says, oh, we're leaving the day after tomorrow. But is that like the closest day that could be is the Sunday? Because you wouldn't yeah. say come for lunch tomorrow. So you, you wouldn't say Sunday if it was a Saturday. You'd say come for lunch tomorrow. If it was Friday, you'd say, hey, come for lunch on Sunday at noon. But that is the day after tomorrow. So technically yeah. they should be gone. And then what was the time? It was like Big Ben had to ring 13 times. It had to ring seven times at 6 p.m. Seven times at 6 p.m like a week later or something like that. Oh, no, then they got the instructions. So that bought them more time. That's right. There's a lot of time. Yeah, as- it's, a, it's a bit it's a bit elastic in this film, what happens when and, and what exactly. And it, it's to its detriment because, like, the whole idea is that you have this ticking clock, but they don't have a ticking clock in the movie. Like, it's just sort of, you know, Bond will do things as they happen, and then at the end they will have a, have a boat chase and, and it'll all be fine. They do have a couple of little returns to London, though, with M going, or, no, someone telling M, looks like Bond just has a flair for the dramatic. And he goes, hey, listen, bitch, if Bond thinks he saw something, then he <laughs> yeah. saw something. And it's not his fault if it hasn't panned out. Meanwhile, Bond's, like, underwater somewhere with a harpoon and... Yeah, I think that they they cut back and and he's doing something insane, like like you know. Yeah. But 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 what I love is that um, M always has this quite you know fractious relationship. Where he's always like you know don't mess it up this time, 007, and blah blah yeah. blah. And but then when someone someone comes after one of his boys, he's like, no, hey, if he says it's something, then yeah. it's something. Just back I'm off. I'm allowed to say it. I'm, I'm allowed, allowed to say, say it. it. You're not. You're not. <laughs> but then I love that there's no there's no real payoff to that little subplot. Like we ne- we never check in with him again. I don't think. No. Um, we just don't we don't circle back. Um, so there would have been great to have a little scene at the end where he's like, ah, see, I told you, haha. And then they, you know, and then then like they check in with him and he's already having sex with Domino. Like you know, like that's, yeah. that's as happens in many later films. Surely there um, should have been a Domino. What's a light like a Domino related move? Well, you knock over dominoes. Yes. Uh, I look like I've knocked you over, Domino. <laughs> mm. Did you notice that her wardrobe is mostly black and white because Domino? 
I did I don't not, know. but that is that is actually a very cool it, piece of uh, costuming. Yeah, it's definitely a bit of theming that they did there. And she, wear, I think she wears more white to the end. Like she starts in more black. Oh, she cha- so they they, they she change it. Oh, it's quite clever. Up to white, I think. That's she's quite in, clever. Yeah. She's in white at the casino at the start, so it's not technically true, but like most of her stuff is black, and then she goes more into black and white in the middle, and then at the end in the swimsuit she's in white. Hmm. So, yeah, that's an interesting bit of progression. And also she has a great moment when Bond rocks up at the house and she's gotten out of the pool and she's towel drying off and then says, oh, they're just staring at her. And she goes, oh, I better go change. They're, they're staring at her, again, in a very creepy way. Yeah. Well, like they stop talking and they just check her out for multiple seconds. Bond seems to just like to be very open, like that he's nakedly checking out. He's competing on this weird alpha – I don't know if alpha male is even the right term anymore, but this weird testosterone level of vibration with Largo. (laughs) Because Largo says, every man has a passion. Mine's fishing. What's yours? And he says, well, I don't think I'm a passionate man. And then just ogles Domino. And he just checks out the the lady in the bikini. Well, she's not in a bikini. This is what I was about to say. She's in a one piece, and she says, oh, I better go change. So she goes indoors. (laughs) <laughs> and when they next come out, she's wearing a black and white checked bikini. <laughs> it's like, and that's sort of similar in Diamonds Are Forever when um, Jill St. John is wearing a... Well, yes, but but she, she actually makes the joke in that one, doesn't she, where she goes, I'll just change it into something less comfortable. Uh, there's that, but there's also when she's Blofeld's prisoner and she's wearing a really skimpy string bikini and he says, shouldn't you cover up? And so she goes and changes the top and leaves the bottom on. So she puts on a slightly more covering bikini top. Yes. But leaves the bottom. I do love that. (laughs) I think I change it to something uh, more modest. It's just another bikini. It's another bikini. And also her hair has been completely blow dried and restyled. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> but there's a line there, and it, it's, it was interesting because I actually noticed it watching the film, and then in that documentary I was watching it explained it. So when he sees the Disco Volante, which, by the way, I love that name for anything. <laughs> We've retitled Disco, Disco Volante. Disco Volante. It's, I always <laughs> love that. It means flying saucer. So, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, it is. That's what it means. I think in the Never Say Never Again, his boat is just called the Flying Saucer. They don't even give it the Italian spin, which right, really okay. makes it so much cooler. <laughs> oh, I'm on board the Disco <laughs> Volante. But Bond looks at it and 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 Largo says, oh, maybe you'd like to, to come and uh, see her. And he goes, oh, yes, I'd like that very much. And they actually shot scenes of him on the boat checking it out. Oh, really? But they were never kept and they've been lost, according to this documentary. They've got some stills of Bond on the boat with Domino and Largo. So this movie was even longer, is what you're telling me. (laughs) But you can see why they made the cut, because he then goes to scope it out. He's already scoped it out once. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It would be completely redundant. Yeah, he's he's already... This is the thing. So in this film, I I meant to do this. I think this... And look, we're only four films in, so it makes sense that they get bigger and more involved. But I think this, this one... I'd have to do a count, but I think he escapes death more times than any other film, possibly all the other three combined. <laughs> like in terms of him it's being... It's true. He is in peril a lot. He's in To the point where at one point he gets cut in the leg or shot in the leg and he's limping a bit. Oh, yes, and then we which, never deal with that again. Well, he put a tissue around it. Sure, yeah, it. it's all good. 
I mean, that's like an he got football. shot in the leg, Natalie. Yeah. <laughs> and then they never address that again. It briefly inconveniences him, and then he gives it a bit of a wash in a, under a cold tap. Yeah. And um. And he ties it up with a hanky, and that's Scouts 101. <laughs> he walks out into a crowd with like his lower leg covered in blood. <laughs> Apparently, that's fine. It's just oh, you party too hard. Yeah, but then Volpe gets shot. He he spins her around. He she takes a human bullet. shield, and and the fine. bullet is directly between his fingers. But he's okay. Yes, yeah, like I saw he that. Parts, he parts his two fingers, and blood starts to 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 you know drip from her back. But the bullet has just gone in with no, and and his fingers are fine. It's so that was a really to- weird um shot, and it's obviously because like he slapped a blood capsule down. But it, it's yeah, like. Yeah. That they couldn't fit her up with a squib? Like, I mean, I guess the dress might have been too skimpy or something. Like, Yeah, but it did – It anyway, look, it works. It's fine. But I do love sure. that the coda to that is when he puts her in a chair and says, don't mind my friend, she's just dead. <laughs> she's just dead. <laughs> and I don't know if that was a sort of – maybe that was a 60s-era slang for she's really tired. She's I'm sure it dead, must have been. Like dead tired. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, well because – and this is what I love is that that line then – gets reused in the Arnold Schwarzenegger film Commando where he is on, where he is on a plane and he like kills a man just basically by like flexing his bicep in in his general vicinity and then this man this man's this man's neck explodes and then he puts a hat over it he, he pretend he's on a plane and he makes it look as if the guy's asleep and then he goes don't disturb my friend he's dead tired similar similar deal i i wonder i wonder if they were inspired by this movie. are you are you grinning just thinking about commando i, I am i have a grin for me to, you can probably hear it <laughs> i love i love that movie so much we it are is. gonna have to watch that and do a podcast about it i think absolutely <laughs> Some big, dumb Arnie fun. <laughs> so they definitely had content in Thunderball that they cut out, but they didn't possibly go far enough. No, that's right. Yeah, that they saying. should have kept cutting. And that's it's weird because it. there's there's more set pieces. As I say, Bond gets in trouble more. He escapes death more. There's more random intimidation tactics, like when Volpe picks him up from the side of the road, as you pointed out. <laughs> Just yes. Straight from, from beach to car. She just decides to drive really fast to intimidate him. And then what's that line? It's like, oh, some men can't handle the speed or something. And he goes, no, some men just don't like being taken for a ride. (laughs) Some of his insults are just a bit, uh, it's just just a bit mean, really, (laughs) in this one. I wonder if Kevin McClory had some sort of say over, because Ian Fleming was dead by this point. So I wonder if Kevin McClory. Oh, really? This early on? Yeah, yeah. He died in 64. Oh wow, okay. Mm, but I, I had think no idea. I thought he, I thought he survived for a lot longer. Okay. No, no, he was only fifty-three or something when he died. Wow. He was quite young. I think he died of lung cancer. As a lot very, of people did. Very committed smoker, as I understand it. Um, but there's a lot more scenes that I agree could be cut with no relative lack of coherency. Like there's this whole scene where Bond, you know, after he tells Domino that. Well, oh, first of all. He and Domino seem to have, like, scuba sex underwater. Oh, yeah. What the hell was that about? He said, I, I hope we didn't disturb the, the sea life or the something, fish, like, something yeah. like that. I hope we didn't frighten the fish. Frighten the fish. Something like that. So they've gone – he and Felix have been searching in a chopper for the plane with the atomic bombs. Yes. And they find it in the Golden Grotto Shark Grotto. Uh, <laughs> and he drives down <laughs> – 
I mean, it's pretty badass. He says, shoot one of those sharks, Felix. It'll it'll distract, distract the, the others. others. And he dives down, finds that the dude was left for dead in the pilot's seat, but he was obviously wearing Domino's brother's watch and dog tag, so he takes mm. those for her. And then he, he bonds, uh, Felix Leiter says, what do you got to go do next? And he's like, oh, I'm going to go see Domino. And then you just see them meet together in the water, both wearing scuba gear. Yeah, like, like did, they, did they arrange that ahead of time? Like, how did he find her? And there's no, they just kind of meet and then they just sink to the bottom of the ocean. And Well, and I mean, the thing is, in, in movies of this era... Sex. Yeah, in movies of this era, like like the 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 code for we're we're having sex now is they would they do that weird kiss face thing where they do a weird kiss and then they both sort of sink down out of shot. Yes. And so in this one, they can't really kiss because they both they both have rebreathers in, so they just sort of grab each other and sink. But <laughs> it's how very weird. weird would that be? It's and very also, strange. What are the like physical logistics? I mean, I've scuba dived in my time, not for years. I'd love to get back to it. It's a great sport, <laughs> but you know, obviously, that's not been involved because you're in a full body wetsuit. Uh, <laughs> well, that's just, right, exactly. Like you know, it's, uh, technically, it's going to be a bit of a challenge. That's right. Uh, but they were just in a swimsuit and shorts, short shorts. So maybe they took them off and then put them back on I'm, in I'm, water. But also, would would it be a bit weird to be under like what would the you know the gravity and the yeah like does that like, even work or how yeah does that, how does that happen we we need to have a discussion about fluid Ex- dynamics it's, yeah exactly there's a lot of you know <laughs> physics comes into play here uh, maybe we should be calling the smart enough to know better boys to yes. put science to put their science hats on and uh, try to work out to have scuba sex. how scuba sex would actually physically work. I, I feel like even though Greg's the physicist, Dan would be the one who would take on that challenge. <laughs> uh, so, Dan, if you're listening, um, I imagine that – or Greg, I'm not saying – maybe they'll surprise us. I'd like to know how the physical <laughs> scuba sex – is possible. I mean, it just seems if that. If you do know about scuba sex, if you've ever participated in scuba sex, call in. Really good. Like you can be anonymous. You know, send an anonymous uh, Facebook message or tweet to us. Well, you can, probably can't tweet, but you can send a Facebook message to uh, Natalie Bohensky on Facebook, uh, facebook.com/slash Natalie's Throne. Shoot me a message. It's got to be like submerged. It can't just be like, oh, we were both wearing snorkels and had a cheeky quickie. Off the back of a dive boat. I'm not talking about that. You've got to, you've got to have, you know, got the kit off or most of the wetsuit off. I don't, you know, I don't know how that works. You know, we want to know: a, was it possible? B, was it in any way pleasurable? <laughs> <laughs> I guess it could be. They seem to enjoy it in the film. But, sure. I mean, there was a beach right there. They could have just gotten out and gone to the beach. Yeah, you would think. Included, it was quite a secluded beach, apart from the assassin uh, Vargas, who was waiting to kill Bond. Um, <laughs> look, hey, I'm spending too many thoughts wondering about this, and it's beneath me. <laughs> it's beneath all of us. Beneath uh, all of us. It's beneath the waves. It's beneath. <laughs> Under the sea. <laughs> My energy will be flagging once we have finished this water shagging under the sea. (laughs) Best I could do. Best I could do, Stu. Um, (laughs) uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> now I'm just thinking about Jack and Rose on that door at the end of Titanic. <laughs> well, that's so, too cold, surely. Very cold. Yeah, mm. very cold. I doubt anything would be able to function in that. It's the temperature of the water. <laughs> if you're going to be in doing that, I figure you'd want to be in a fairly tropical climate. <laughs> Obviously, you know, I'm in a slightly, um, uh, um, what would you call it? Delirious? Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for elucidating uh, the impossible. Uh, I am I am slightly delirious, clearly, in a James Bond jag. Overall, how do you think you will rank this in your ranking list, Stu? Uh, this, is, this is down the bottom. I, I put this uh, dead last. You know, there, there are bits of it that I like. I'll, I will say, like, like I, I like the general idea of it, and I, I like parts of it, and I think it's interesting. You know, certain things like, like the, the underwater stuff is is cool, but it goes on for way too long. And and they like, I mean, at one point, like, like we see the entirety of the operation to hide that plane. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, we see every single step. Of the, the plane goes down, the plane lands, the plane sinks, they go down, they, they cover it up, they they kill that kill that guy, they, they get the bombs. We see every step of them removing the bombs. Like all of this can be cut. We don't need any of this. Yeah, and then you see Bond after that moment where Domino tells him, you know, when they're leaving the after killing Vargas, and she says, actually, uh, this might be important. And so he finds out where the door is, and then that, he has a fight. That felt so lazy to me. She's it, like, oh, by the way, I just remembered a very important piece of information that will help you with your mission. Yeah, but then he has to go check that out. And then I think he – that's is that when he gets – That's when he gets out of the water and you can see his entire penis. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Well, then I'm confusing it for another sequence where he gets <laughs> – Yeah, so later he, he pretends to be one of – Largo's men, one of the scuba divers, and he sneaks on board the boat, the Disco Volante, and then he goes, they realise it's him. And then he just goes they're, by they're the bond, And then that he manages to escape, but then he ends up getting out via uh, like a cave, like a rock. And because he swallowed that homing device, Felix is able to come get him and airlift him out. Like, this is what I mean. He, he has so many encounters with death like no wonder Largo is really freaking pissed off by the end because he's <laughs> he's tried to have this guy killed probably 10 times over the course of the film yeah, that's it and he just keeps he just escaping. keeps coming back he's the cockroach it's, and, it's really and, good yeah and because it's that sort of like genteel oh well I guess we'd just better try again tomorrow but we don't <laughs> we don't shoot him like it's yeah it's strange and I definitely think and the thing is, the guy who wrote this film, Richard Maubaum, or the main screenwriter, but he was also a co-screenwriter, I should say, he co- co-wrote Goldfinger as well, or adapted. And I, I feel like it doesn't suffer as much as the same bloat, or at no, least... No, and you, you can see the same sort of things in action, but but that that film is tighter, it, it's, it's, everything is there for a reason, it, it's, it, it's funnier. Like it's it's more fun. The action sequences are more fun. Like like in this one, I will say like like the and the the one that I sort of love and hate is that final fight scene underwater, which is actually really interesting. You don't see it very often in in movies, and maybe yeah. there's a reason for that because 
on the one hand, it is pretty tense. Like you have the, the Navy SEALs sort of charging in and and the Spectre uh, it's scuba like men. In red, so you can distinguish them. Yeah, from- yeah, exactly. So, you know, you've got black versus red, so you can easily tell who's who. And then they just keep fighting. And you're like, oh, the reason they don't do this very often is because it's very boring to watch. It can be quite tense if you, you know, individual moments, but that they are literally faceless goons killing each other. Like we, we've never met tell. any of these people. Yeah. They all have masks on. And They're just probably, random people stabbing each other and shooting each other with harpoons. It probably loses some of its power because we've already seen Bond kind of have that run in, first of all, yes. under the disco volante when he's first checking it out and a guy with a harpoon tries to get him and then they drop hand grenades at him. That's right. And not to mention, I, I only just realised this, but we then have a sequence where Bond dons an underwater jetpack and comes in like Superman, just wrecking people. Well, this is like, the thing. He just has been rescued from being in a cave, and he gets re-kitted out and gets the jetpack, which has <laughs> missiles on it. It has missiles on it, because of it's, course it does. I have no yeah. problem with that. That's great. Like, the guy clearly doesn't sleep the whole time he's in the Bahamas. No. <laughs> he's just a machine, or he's on meth. I don't know. So he's believe. on a various cocktail of, of drugs and alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and when he's at dinner with um, Domino, not that you ever see them actually eat, but he um, orders caviar and champagne. Like he's caviar and cheese, Luca caviar and champagne. Yeah, I was like, that is not a meal, James. Are you eating all right? Get a salad, my dude. <laughs> at least, I mean, you're drinking a fair bit. Get some bread. Soak it up. <laughs> some croutons. <laughs> <laughs> Beluga caviar and champagne. That sounds <laughs> disgusting, by the way. Oh, that's uh, fancy people food. <laughs> like, you do. order beluga caviar, do they just bring you out a plate of just the, that that black slimy fish eggs? Like, is that is that what so, you're eating for, for lunch? I mean, maybe they throw a bit of salt and pepper on it. I'm not in, I'm not entirely sure. I've never had caviar stew. I'm just... <laughs> I'm cheap. You've never ordered caviar in a restaurant, Natalie? No, because I think I've been at restaurants where you can get it, but it's like $100 a serve or something. Yes. Probably more. Also, I'm pretty sure beluga caviar is illegal now. Oh, you're not allowed to you're not allowed to have it. Oh, yeah, probably because people would just I assume um well, it's been overfished, Captain. so you're not allowed to, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But yes, like, uh, my overall thoughts are there's some cool stuff in here, and and some and the story would be really, really good if it was done properly. The trouble is, this is a bloated mess Ooh. that just, I, I just did not connect with at all. I, and and it, I, it, I was very off-put by Bond's creepy antics at the start, and then I never really recovered. And <laughs> it's sort of like, I was like, ah, this is, uh, it's so long. And then it just finishes and it's like even the filmmakers gave up they're like ah and then he get he flies away the end yeah i was like wow okay the pacing is off that's for sure it is badly off so this one this one goes right at the bottom of my list i think i'll have to put it there too even though i would have assumed it'll be higher than a lot of others i think like it's not going to be at the bottom and stay at the bottom um, because it's Thunderball and there's great elements to it. The theme, the great, uh, the Junkanoo, the local Mardi Gras, which is oh, obviously yes, yeah. real footage that they've spliced in, sort of the first time that they, and they start to do that a lot where they go to exotic places and for their and local film stuff happening. And film it. <laughs> yeah. And then insert Bond into it. And it's a really vibrant, colourful sequence hmm. but there's also a whole sequence before that where they're at the junk canoe and again it's the time thing where 
Bond is with Domino and then Felix comes and says, oh, no, Paula Kaplan has been – she's gone. She's checked out of the hotel. And he goes, right, you stay with Domino. I'll go find her. And then Oh, yeah, Paula. Um, I, I, w- I was really confused about who she was and then I, I realised, oh, she she's like a, an operative as well? Yeah, she's like the local – And then she just, like, commits suicide? Like, what – No, 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 she's taken by Volpe and they – oh, well, I suppose she's – No, no, but then, but then yeah. she kills herself, doesn't she? Like, that that's – like, yeah. rather than be tortured and have information come out? Well, that's what a lot of them probably did. They were trained to do, if you thought you were going to... Or maybe she just didn't want to be tortured, which is fair enough. I, sure. I've been very upfront many times, Stu, about the fact that if anyone even starts to torture me in any way, I will spill the, my guts. <laughs> I am a wuss. I can't deal with pain. I will invent things. You know, this is why torture, <laughs> this is why torture is unreliable because I That's absolutely, right. on a, on a fundamental level, understand how I would just make shit up. And uh, you'd be a witch, <laughs> Stu, and Greg and Dan from the Smart Enough to Know Better podcast. They're definitely witches. Um, <laughs> look, Chloe Giantsbane, witch. Witch. I mean, yep. no one could possibly be that witch. cute. Not possible to be that cute. But clearly, witchcraft is involved. Um, you know, it, everyone, which, 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 and, and I'd quite happily say it. And then they'd say, well, we're actually looking for spies, uh, Natalie. And I'd be like, oh, sorry, I don't know anything about spies, but they're all witches. <laughs> they're all witches. Hang them now. <laughs> Burn, Burn them. them all. Burn the witches. Um, but yeah, I think I have to put it down because I can't, I can't put it above from Russia with love in terms of pacing and technical and. And from Russia with Love is at the bottom of your list, right? So your your list yeah. is your list is Goldfinger, Doctor No, Doctor No, Russia with Love, Russia with Love. I I can't probably. You can't, put it this above. isn't a better film than From it's, Russia with Love. See, this is the thing. I could put it technically similar to Doctor No on like an emotional level because just there's a lot of emotion with Thunderball. I think it's a big bombastic Bond film, but that. Like, I couldn't rank it as equal. So, yeah, I think it has to go to the bottom of mine as well, which I find very surprising. This is what I love about doing these rankings where you're like, well, is it a better film? Like, can I justify putting it ahead of this film? And it's like, no, absolutely not. From Russia with Love is easily a better film. (laughs) Yeah, but then I feel like, you know, did I just sort of fold over and agree with you and I should be more stringent and (laughs) no, Stu? I'm actually putting the case. Make the case, Natalie. Where would you put it? Well, the thing is, I don't think I can. Having just rewatched, I think like before rewatching it, I probably would have said I like it better than From Russia with Love. But and after, do you still having watched them both recently? The, but no, but this is what I mean. I if you'd have asked me before I watched this film where I'd put Thunderball, I probably would have thought I'd put it higher. But having now just watched it again, yeah, I think I have to put it down at number four because it isn't as good technically or as emotionally as the other ones for me. So, therefore, it has to be number four. And that's a surprise. That's all. But there'll be others, and I assume that I'll like less than Thunderball, and they'll go below it. It's just not in that top – in those first four, it's number four. Still number four. Still (laughs) number four. Obscure late show joke from 30 years ago. Hooray! (laughs) Uh, And hello to everyone who remembers that joke. Uh, (laughs) Probably a few people listening. Probably, yeah. Knowing the kind of people we know, probably a few. So (laughs) I think we're kind of coming to the end of Thunderball. Oh, I just wanted to mention one thing about Paula, who is is probably not used as well as she could have been. And the other thing is she's an absolute knockout. Like she's... She is stunningly beautiful. Gorgeous Bond woman. Do you recognise her at all? 
should I? She is one of the gypsies in From Russia with Love. The, oh, really? The fighting gypsies. Oh, okay. So she 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 got a speaking role this time. Yeah, yeah. She's one of those few women who've had uh, multiple roles in 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 Bond films. Uh, don't know. Oh, good for her. More than that. Did but, she show um, up again or? No, I think that's it. <laughs> oh, okay. She got she got in twice. That's enough. Yeah. So no, she's, uh, a, she's a knockout. She's a, a very uh, look just just to get straight uh, straight male gazy for a second. Uh, all three of the women in this film are actually very very beautiful. Well, there's uh, four really if you consider four, yeah. a little um, Mo- Molly. No, Patricia. Patricia is her name. Molly is the actor, um, the, the 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 victim of sexual harassment. Oh yes, yes. I, perhaps undercutting my own point, I had forgotten about her. No, no, that's okay. Well, <laughs> I think this too is because Bond in this film sleeps with three women so that's probably the same as gold no goldfinger's really only two and from russia with loves only I mean, two dink is implied in gold in goldfinger yeah but is implied different to you know this one well, he that's definitely true. That's true, yeah. definitely gets his therapist nude in the sauna he <laughs> definitely gets it on with um volpe and he definitely gets it on with There is scuba Domino. sex occurring with Domino. So Paula is the one who seems to miss out. And I, for one, feel sorry for her. Um, because <laughs> I'm going to have to go find that shot of <laughs> the magical penis. The magical <laughs> penis. Did the magical penis sort of do any magic this time? I guess well, he... no, he very pointedly didn't. That's the thing. Like he he deployed the magical penis, and uh, and Volpe had the uh, plus one uh, oh, shield of what... shield of yeah. magical penile. <laughs> That's right, yeah. But she she did seem to be enjoying it during. She's the one who's grabbing the bars of the bed, going, "Will I be yes. safe?" But you know that she seemed to be enjoying herself. And then, and again, what we were talking about last week is being self-referential. After Goldfinger, she makes that statement about, "Oh, a bad girl will just reform and do whatever you say." Yes, it's almost that like does, it's commenting on itself. Yeah. Yeah, and that does seem to be a comment on, I guess, Daniela Bianchi, whose name I've forgotten, Tatiana, from from Russia with Love, who's you know the Russian spy who. Well, well, and Pussy Galore, who. And uh, and Pussy Galore. So there's two. I wouldn't say Honey Rider kind of comes into that, but um, oh, no, no. Pussy, those two. There's definitely already a commentary on what Bond means to to women that he sleeps with yes we're we're four movies in and the the series is becoming self-referential yeah Um, nice yeah that's interesting well i think we've probably reached the end i don't know i feel like i've i've missed the the movie the movie ends abruptly and with little fanfare so why should this podcast be any different (laughs) well we've done our ranking so that's the most important thing and next week we will be doing you only live twice where we yes, finally a movie I have realized that I have not actually seen. I think this oh, is the first really? one. Really? I've oh, seen God. all of these other films before. I do not think that I've seen this one. Okay. Well, so, I'll tell you now, yeah. there's absolutely no problematic racial stuff. I, I have heard about the problematic racial things. I, no, I, no. That, that's what made me realize I've never seen it because it, I it would have remembered. It doesn't exist, you. It's fine. It's all going to be fine. <laughs> You're not going to be screaming at me this time next week. <laughs> what the what hell do you do, mean? Natalie? <laughs> Jinx. But yes. So we we get into some full on um, 60s style fun, and we <laughs> have some adventures, and we finally see Blofeld. 
Yes. Oh, okay. Radio. Okay. So we we see Donald. Oh, sorry. Realised that's now a spoiler. Oh, well. <laughs> Spo- well, spoilers for a fifty-year-old movie. Yeah, but it, you know that Donald Pleasance is the original Blofeld. So. Yes, I, I did. I did know that. And and again, that that's why I've sort of realised I must not have seen this because I know I've seen Diamonds Are Forever Blofeld. Yes, which is yes. Charles Gray. Yeah. Now. Be prepared as I was when I first saw You Only Live Twice. I saw it after Diamonds Are Forever um, because he shows up. And I'm sure we'll talk about this next week. He is actually in Diamonds Are Forever. Sorry, he's in You Only Live Twice as a good guy. Oh, okay. see it out of order like I do. It doesn't make sense. You're like, oh, my God, it's Blofeld. Why is Bond just talking to Blofeld? (laughs) It's a bit weird. It's a bit weird. But, yes, so his Blofeld is a very OTT one. And we'll we'll get to him in a few films time, but uh, gee, we're real. I feel like we're really kicking into gear now. I'm hopefully getting a handle on writing some stuff. I have to find something now to to write about this one. I think probably the length will come into it, and and maybe some of those edits. But I think it shows final thought that a film like that these days would probably get a cut. It would get another edit. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. There's no way this. Well, I mean, actually, having said that, like some of the blockbusters that come out now, like they are two hours, two and a half hours long, and there's a lot of stuff in there that doesn't need to be in there. I, I don't I don't think that if this film came out today it would necessarily be any different. But I don't in terms of editing. <laughs> maybe maybe they would have a look at the repetitiveness. Yes, possibly. And then they would probably yeah. they would maybe make things resolve a bit more a bit nicer instead of just ending the film. Yeah. Oh, yes. And if you do know a pun, as we said, for yes. Bond at the very end of this film, just look up like the end of Thunderball on YouTube and fill in the gaps and I'll organise some sort of prize, which will, you know, asterisks probably not be anything worthwhile. Um, well, I assume everyone's watching along, aren't they? Like these are all, if you have Stan, every single Bond film is on Stan. So get on that if you if you haven't already. I'm not sure if people are watching, Stu, because it's, it's, it's quite a lot. But maybe they've seen them recently because they've been on TV as well. It's a movie. What, what, people are isolated at home. It's fine. <laughs> You know what? You're probably right. Maybe people are. I just keep thinking about all the things that other people are watching that I just haven't seen because I go, no, 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 I've got to be Bond. I've got to be on Bond. That's my thing right now. So <laughs> I'm like, people are watching other things, but then I realise, oh, they can probably just watch something and enjoy it and not think about Probably just watch something for enjoyment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not that we're not enjoying this, but. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, for sh- absolutely for sure. I'm having a ball of a time, but I've always got one sort of part of my brain on, okay, I need to think of some clever things to write about this. And often when I watch stuff for enjoyment, it's one of the reasons why I mostly watch true crime because I can't really <laughs> recap a true crime show. And then Jeffrey Dahmer uh, and John Wayne Gacy formed a band called The Screaming Cannibals. Um, that's not funny at all. I'm going to edit this bit out. <laughs> the brain has come to an end. Well, with that, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to this week and we'll be back next week. And until then, I'm Natalie. And I'm Stu. And we're shaken. Not stirred. And we strike. Like Like thunderbolt. You've got the much better voice for this. All right. Well, Tom Tom Jones hits a hell of a note at the end of that song. It's great. Yeah. Have you seen all those tight Tom Jones trousers pictures doing the rounds on the internet? (laughs) No. Just search Tom Jones trousers. There's a reason women were throwing their underwear at him. Fair enough. (laughs) See you next week, everyone. Bye.